Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everybody. Good Hello, morning, Mike. Hello, Good morning. Friends. All right. Well, we got a couple of interesting openers today, things that have been coming across the internet, some stuff that came out very interesting. Um, Tommy, I know you, you picked up on these things. It's funny how I read these articles and I see the topics of those articles immediately pop up on the podcast. Tommy's we're always on point with grabbing some uh, interesting topics around here. Data goblins, as always, we absolutely love as data always. goblins. So good. Um, well, well designed, super well thought out. Uh, we see data goblins coming out with an article around bar charts, uh, how to create oh bullet God. charts in power BI. This is really cool. Did you guys see this article at all and kind of check out his, uh, list of bar charts there all the different types or ways you can style them it was insane yeah so this was i don't know if you actually opened the desktop file because that was the first thing i had to do there are two things that i absolutely love that kurt did here was really just basically took a single visual and made 28 out of them um and obviously it's it's one of those how'd you do that how many measures always incredible because we've talked about this before one of my favorite visuals is a lollipop chart, but it's really hard to. You just like it. candy, Tommy. I just like candy. It's actually Dude. a better representation. Um, anyways, but I was like, but there's not a really easy way to do that. But he's basically put together 20 different visuals all from once. It's like, yeah, I don't need custom visuals. But the best part is, little secret is everything he's uh, GitHub, it's all in PBIP. Oh, he used a PVIP yeah. to build it. People are being, are, people are starting to become really sneaky with uh, developing things around PVIP now. I can say that because our theme generator now lets you build PVIP files as well. And I really like the format. Our, yeah, it's slick when, you know, unbeknownst to people that is, you can open it up and you just start going with a whole yeah. lot of things under the covers. This reminds me, uh, I, I, well, one, Kurt always has a, a way to make me feel like I never really thought out an idea completely. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. It's, it's like the components of something that I, I always had like 30%. And then, yeah, I have that other 20%, but he always pulls it together. And this one reminded me of like when Power BI like first came out and we really should be doing this again as they're rolling out visualization changes. It's like yeah. how far you can stretch uh, into... Visual like the different visualization types. And this was just, I think, a fantastic way, like Kurt does in all his blogs, to um, represent in a concise way, like, hey, have you ever wanted to? And here's like the look and feel of all the different ways you can use a bar chart. And I, you know, it's fantastic. I love it. I like to so I, I, get, get stuck into it. Uh, if, yeah. if you guys haven't seen this, it's a it's a fantastic blog. Yes, it is. Um, and I recommend it shows shows really how far I think also it just out of the box, um, you know, Power BI is, has come in terms of, you know, some of the visualizations you can make. So I'm excited to see even the ones that have been out now, like uh, the line chart now that they've updated and uh, all the cards, um, which isn't represented, obviously, in, in this particular blog. But um, yes, like I said, we'll have to revisit and go through and, and stretch the, the bounds of what uh, kind of pretty visualizations we can put together. Or um, maybe we just have Kurt Bueller now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Kurt, there's a new line chart, Kurt. Can you uh <laughs> can you do give a blog us a about it, please? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I really like this one and I love the fact that he's using a lot of standard visuals on the bar chart. Now, to your point, Tommy, that's where my mind always goes. I need to quickly download that file because I need to figure out what the heck did they do here? How do they style that thing so I could get it to look exactly like that one? I don't really this is the, this is one of my pet peeves of Power BI though. A lot of times I see other people's work on Power BI reports and think, oh, that's amazing. I really like that. I need to learn what that is. And it just feels at some level daunting because there's so many different ways. You have to know things to get these yeah. extra options. Like you don't, you don't get an easy button that says, oh, make a lollipop chart. And it just, boop, it makes it the way, like it just starts right. styling it. Like, so there's a lot, there's work that needs to be done in order to, to like figure out what to do and how to build this stuff. So to me, that's always like a barrier to entry on a lot of things around Power BI is there's just a little bit more work to get it to style the way you want. If you want to just a standard bar chart the way Microsoft builds it, great, no problem. It's when you want to customize it 
got to kind of figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Another article that came out um, this this week, I guess it was this week. Um, actually, it's a little bit older, but we're picking up on it now. The Tale of Tabular Editor from uh, Daniel O'Care uh, over in, I believe it's in Denmark area. Very cool article. Uh, Tommy, why did you pick this one? This is a little bit older, but um, what was your thought here? It's just a nice story to kind of see like how in the world is there really, there's only one and there's only one and only tabular editor, mm-hmm. um, how much we rely on that and what we do with it. And it's really kind of like the origin story of how did it actually come to be? Well, we all remember using um, when it was tabular editor two, you know, clunky, I guess, but I, that was my first moment of being intimidated by a software going, eh, I don't know if I want to touch this, mm-hmm. but just to kind of see that grow up story of something that's so integral to what we do now and the different things that like kind of ignited them to go, well, what if we could, could we do that? And the next thing you know, it's, you know, it is what it is today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's an interesting uh, thought to think, see where Daniel has gone with this. So he started Tabular editor two or Tabular editor. Did a reversion to it, made it Tabular Editor 2, and then now he has a, the actual Tabular Editor that you pay for, which is Tabular Editor 3. So Tabular Editor 2 is like a free version. It, you just get some basic editing things. You get a lot of what, what Tabular Editor 3 does, which minus some more advanced features. Um, and it's just interesting to see where Daniel kind of started. He started as a consultant. He built a tool. It helped him out immensely. And then he turned into a full-time developer. Like he literally, this is his job now. He's, his job is to run Tabular Editor now, which is kind of interesting to see people talk about their career a little bit and how they got to where they are. Just always, always kind of fun. Yeah. The things that struck me out of this were uh, you guys share this this lazy engineer kind of mm. mentality mm-hmm. where, um, you know, his, his story revolves around like somebody was just going to let him work on something for five days and he's like, that, that just so waste of my time mm-hmm. it's so manual work i don't want to do that and then the, the inception of tabular editor um so that yeah. i found funny yeah um, if if the community or people listening don't know about tabular editor go look it up yeah uh, it's the tabular best editor two alone is going to change your experience and how you interact with your it speeds you up behind, immensely um power BI. just the, just the speed alone yeah. And so, so huge contribution from Daniel. And then like what, what I love about the article is his separation of what tabular editor three, um, and that, uh, True. you know, that, that is sustaining him, but how tabular editor two is, is its own product still. And he's going to, it's the community one that he's going to maintain. Um, and that is very good to hear. Right. And mm-hmm. how he's like, it's, it's the life of how this, this thing that he came up with as a solution evolved into, you know, both a community tool that he constantly updates and then also, um, you know, a way he can stay engaged in making both products better all the time. So uh, love the article. So I'll also put in here in the chat just because we love the tool so much. We did a four series blog or four video series. Basically it's a four hour series with Daniel building out. Okay. What's the introduction to tablet editor? How do you use scripts? What is a best practice analyzer? How to use that? And that that alone right there is worth its weight in gold just because you can use, uh, you know, a tool to check if you're doing things in a weird way in models and kind of gives you recommendations automatically. An automatic recommendation tool to performance tune your model. Great. Love that. Uh, and then their last one was talking about like, you know, how do you use DevOps and Tablet Editor? Because Tablet Editor really was also letting you design the ability to create a data model and then deploy it using code. That's been kind of like the weak spot i would say a lot of power bi at this point it's it's been a, a sore moment pretty much since the beginning <laughs> right it's kind of initially it hasn't really ever gotten there but we're seeing a lot more strides here recently that's making a lot more parity with an actual deployment pipeline type stuff yeah then our last article today which uh, i think leads very well into our main topic is uh, there is now low code authoring of patching reports right off of the One Lake Data Hub. This has got to have you excited, Mike. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> for I'm getting reports. messages. The only people who tweet me are people like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, true, t- true, Tommy. It's not like, hi, hello, how are you doing? It's more like, haha, I was right, you were wrong. Uh, I really do like the fact that there are more, well, there's more features being rounded out in creating pageant reports. You can now go to One Lake Data Hub. 
you can right click or go click on the ellipsis and you can directly click from there create a paginated report which is basically again this is my argument i think there's two ways you want to access data you want you want insights on data or you want access to data paginated reports is a good way of just getting access to the data so show up build a report make your columns build your things add some filters boom done you have a table of data leave me alone <laughs> you you have access to your data you can go get what you want and you can go build your yucky cell excel stuff all day long and and uh you can leave me alone so no what do you mean no it's happens Aww. oh, oh <laughs> yeah. okay there we go there we go yeah, well, it, that's a shame it happens I, I i do i do recognize you can't do everything inside power bi so you definitely need some level of analyzing and mucking around with things inside excel i do i do recognize that but i really like being daniel O'Care and lazy and building systems <laughs> that just do what i want repeatedly all the time so that's actually a lot more of my my favorite there so there's a Microsoft blog talking more about that one. So what do you guys think? Any thoughts on this one? Honestly, this is what I said the last time we actually had an entire episode of, devoted to paginated reports where they're, they've got to update the system. We have the technology where we don't have to be in this archaic, um, our, you know, like a builder. And you can see that now. It's like, oh, wow, it's like a really easy UI to drag and drop a visual around. Do you know how difficult or what you guys do know? But for those who don't know, if you ever use the report builder, just to drag a darn image across the screen and get it just where you want was a horrific experience. And it's not because you were dealing with data. It was just something from 1968 where now all of a sudden they've built in, oh, I don't know, power apps probably into this or something. So also Microsoft owned. So the ability to, and that's what people always wanted with the paginated reports. I want to be able to do this invoice or grab this data, but correct quickly. So we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's a great comment from Nico on LinkedIn that is, is kind of rebutting Mike's comment about Excel. <laughs> he posts that tweet from uh, Buck Woody. <laughs> and if you, if you don't know who Buck Woody is, like you've got to follow him. He's a Microsoft for, for life, but his, his little meme is like, there's a crab holding a fish and the fish under it says entire global financial system. And the crab underneath is mm -hmm. Microsoft Excel 2013. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, like... it's true. It's true. <laughs> Nico, like, I'm not going to name I'm not gonna me some financial like I, name me a finance department person that is not so heavily involved. Yes, in Excel. Yes. It's not even funny. I'm not going to disagree with you. And I came from a world where the entire company, a billion dollar company, ran on Excel. We were making decisions right out of Excel. So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> it definitely does happen, and it definitely is needed. I mean, if you didn't have Excel, what would you do? Like, what would you? What would you? You have to like it's got to be there. Yeah. But on on the other hand, I also think too like, okay, it's it's good for a, a, a single one off thing. It's not as it can automate it, and that's oh, uh, you're making me walk back on my comments. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, you're making me walk back on my comments. I do I do like it a lot. I, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, of of the things I prefer now, um, you know, now that I've gotten my Power BI tattoo, um, I I have to I have to say Power BI is the best. It is that is a probably one of the better images you're going to see and probably devoted to its own episode to talk about how much of wall street then the financial world still relies no, on it. No, like it's Toledo or no. whatever. Um, it, that is not a good episode. What, what was it? that's, that's it's bad. like 99% except for the ones like Google, <laughs> Google probably the only one cause they have sheets. Yeah. <laughs> what was the, um, the software before Excel start with an L Lotus one, two, Lotus. three. Yeah. Lotus notes. So I think it's, but that was, that was the other one I believe an IBM product, I think it was. Where's Greg Baldini when you need him to fact check everything? Because he'll know like, oh, it, it was made on October 3rd, yeah, right. you know, 1990 or whatever it was. So you, you want to talk about the need for data governance. Um, I'm reading a few like historical uh, finance books and the, what took off everything in terms of the 70s and the 80s was Lotus. Mm -hmm. I played with this very briefly when it first came out. I remember initially working on it a little bit. It had Excel hadn't fully taken over everything yet at that point. Anyways, I'm I'm reminiscing and having fond memories of moving around inside Visual Basic, trying to build random automation things inside Excel because again, I was lazy and wanted to be efficient and press a button and have a whole bunch of things calculate. So, 
Wow, we're pulling out some. Uh, we're pulling out some really good ones here. Lotus one, two, three for DOS. We have Visicalc, ASCII charts. These are things I have never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> this is where this is where you start feeling young again, Mike. Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Excellent. especially from the engineering world too. My um, my dad's an engineer, and he he does a lot of um, they do a lot of testing. And I'm like, what do you use? It's like it's either like he's like he's like CSV files. Because <laughs> I did that, I was like, "Yeah, the machine outputs, yeah, the, the machine outputs a CSV file. Great. Now I have to go parse that dumb thing and now add it to gonna, all the yeah. other data. Now we're gonna have our development team build an application just to do it or themselves. So. That's crazy. Man. It's great. Yeah, I was talking with I think again, I was talking with Data Goblins Kurt, uh, and he was talking about how there's a big miss in the, um, it, it's in the data collection world of phd and scientists they they do all this work to collect this data and it just gets stuck in like excel sheets <laughs> or, or random places there's no database there's no way to like automate it there's and there would be a lot more integrity in research data if there was systems that we could immediately absorb data directly from the machines so harvey i could serve a purpose there we could see how it would work so anyways i digress Let's move on to our main topic today, which I think is also going to be extremely controversial. And I'm also very disappointed Greg Baldini is not here for this one, because I think he would also have some words uh, for us here as well. The, art for, yeah. the article for today is uh, from an individual we talk about a lot on the podcast. Matthew Roach, who came up with Roach's Maxim. Uh, Transform the data as far upstream as possible and as far downstream as necessary. So... Uh, great article. We're gonna we're gonna go through Microsoft Fabric and then falling in love with SQL all over again. So this is the article for today. But really, our our conversation today is around. Okay, we have SQL. We have this thing called One Lake. You know, fight. <laughs> do you do you put everything in SQL now, or do you put everything in the One Lake and use SQL to access information in One Lake? And wh where are the decision and or breakpoints around? Now we have this new fabric thing. There's a lot more SQL that we've never had before in place. How does it, how is this going to change how we work? What is this going to look like? Is that a good summary topic of, of what we're doing here, Tommy? Anything else I missed here that you would like to kind of add into our topic of today? I'll put the article here yeah. in, the, in the chat window. No, I think that's, that's spot on. I think in terms of what this radical shift is going to be on what I'm finding myself in both macro situations and or micro situations for my, for my own uh, um, uh, purpose, but then also mm -hmm. thinking about teams as a whole and how, just how much the, these obviously fabric huge, but just some of those shifts with one leg and what it can do, but the data flows pushing uh, and storing this, in, this data now is so accessible mm -hmm. really changes the conversation um i'm not sure if it changes it i it wasn't I, a conversation before um, i here's what how i would yes and no i mean this is where seth and i typically butt heads over things so uh michael will air a little dirty laundry uh seth loves sequel uh sequel guy came out of the sequel world michael loves lake houses <laughs> so we kind of always like where we, we we're continually let's call it debate where should the data live and where where does it make sense for the right you know the cheapest the easiest way for users and or data engineering things to happen inside that landscape now i i will not be so naive to say is oh we're going to call sql dead we're never going to use it again that's not what i'm saying here i think and Seth and I have had this conversation with clients. Uh, uh, SQL runs the world, right? You can tell me other languages run the world. Maybe Python is a pretty big, uh, you know, player in this space. But at the end of the day, any company, there are people writing SQL. There is databases that are being built. And this language is so universal about how it uses to access and manipulate data. It's just there. Where I think things are getting, to me, this new fabric thing is blurring the line a lot more for me and i'm not quite sure where i always should put all of my data what is the use case for using the sql server endpoint versus just straight up dropping it into the lake and calling it done right so so it's 
I'm not saying it's changing the game. To me, it's just blurring the line a lot more. It's making it more difficult to understand where's the right place to put things because it's getting so similar to me in my mind. Thoughts, oh Seth? Oh, boy. He's, he's, I, I, he's cooking thought, up something good. My, my thoughts are, um, if you air dirty laundry, make it factual and accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yeah. I, think th I think there's a significant difference between the SQL language and or other languages that we've we've discussed um, versus storage engine and where things are at because um, I don't think we're... I don't think we disagree at all around um, platforms that support big data and those being much better in structures that are um, like similar to what what Fabric is supporting in OneLake, Databricks, etc. Delta tables are absolutely the the method to go about handling large volumes of data in, in those spectrums. Um, mm -hmm. So I think may, maybe it would have been laundry from four years ago or five, but. True. In any case, maybe um, I converted you a little bit. I maybe we kind of sure, sure, Mike. sure. <laughs> you have you have led me down the path, Mike, and I can't thank you enough. Like, just, let's just let's just get it out. Let's get it out in this episode, Mike. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you holding my hand down yeah. this path. No, no, into it, it, the light. It, it was like, it, I. I no, like let me express my how I truly are. Just I gratitude. I can't stop. I can't. I gotta stop. That's so much sarcasm. <laughs> um, Slash S. Yes, yes. Well, and it was interesting because at the time, Databricks was coming out with a lot of this stuff around the lake house, medallion architectures. At the same time, I was going through my master's in data science, and there was a lot of talk around Spark, this stuff, like figuring things out, and I was like, ugh. Spark is such a pain. I was building Hadoop clusters and trying to run stuff. I was like, I don't want to write MapReduce jobs. This is horrible. And so, like, it was just awful, absolutely awful. And then they started introducing me to, I don't know what it was called, Hive or something like that. I can't remember which, what's the, the language of, of the Spark engine. But Spark eventually pops out and says, hey, we'll let you write SQL against your data tables. Oh, okay. I can figure that stuff out. And that made sense to me. So, like, I don't have to write all this crazy, like, Scala stuff over and over again, or you know, even you know, PySpark. I can just write things in like SQL. And again, when that once that turned on, it everything got a lot easier for me. So, I mean, I think there's a very where I think things for me have changed is I think the the emphasis is less on like I need a SQL server and a, and a machine to run the SQL as opposed to now where I'm using. I'm either borrowing a compute engine to go access data in Delta tables, or I'm using, like, I now can use Python and Spark to, to go directly access the information. I'm still using the language of SQL to do a lot of data manipulation, but I think the infrastructure behind the scenes potentially is slightly changing, and it's really allowing us to have larger volumes of data, better multi-threading, because Microsoft, I think, really botched the whole massive parallel processing for SQL. It was just way overpriced and never and not really as cheaply or as easy to be able to run as a lot of the Spark things. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's also one of the reasons why this is like the this conversation is even like we're comparing these, right? If you think yes. the the same infrastructure you had to set up that was extremely complex, right? And then you have to like building your own um, hive cluster, spark engine, all that, like that was simplified. By yeah, data bricks by fabric, like all these things. Like this is we don't. This is why fabric is fantastic, or tools like it, like com consolidate it all, and mm -hmm. like even what we're going to talk about today, like consolidate it all. And oh my gosh, it's so it's this is so difficult to go create a connection and suck in my data, right? Like I want to yeah. create a new warehouse, new. I want to yeah. I want to create a new lake house, new. Right? Done. Like, yeah. Like, that that's an absurd concept, even five yes. years ago. Yeah, and I, I feel like one of my major, when every time I listen, I talk to people or particularly consultants, I, they're like, oh, we have this old SQL thing. Okay, great. Oh, and we have all these SSIS packages. Yeah. Every time someone says that, I hear groaning. Just, <laughs> just like, ugh. Like, the mashing willing of teeth. Yes, and then people are like, we got to get off of this stuff. I mean, it works. It gets things done. I don't think it's it's not dead by any means, but it's like a lot of companies are trying to say we we really want to move away from that something a bit more modern it's just a bit too clunky i think nowadays and now with everything being in the web it's it everyone's expecting more of this ui based web experience and doing a lot of your data engineering there and tommy and i have been doing this whole 
fabric learn fabric series and it's been very good i think for me to really get my head around what is fabric and how does this relate to everything i do in power bi and if i had to like put my you know a, a big a lens on and kind of look at what at the end of the day fabric is just synapse moving to power bi it's literally that's all they did is take the some of the best pieces of synapse rebrand them simplify them a little bit more and just literally verbatim drop them right into to power bi most everything is there with the exception i think of direct lake and i think there's one core technology change here where the data tables you're storing is in the delta format and this i think to me is the secret sauce to why i prefer one lake type things or one lake elements over maybe just straight sql things like a, like a sql server right so I want to make a distinction here for me. I still love SQL. I really think the One Lake is very powerful. And, but I, I think Microsoft actually renamed the One Lake incorrectly. I think the naming schema is how I've been thinking about One Lake and Lake Houses, the way my Microsoft is talking about it, is almost, it's a miss based on my understanding of what a Lake House really is. So we'll go in there. Why is it a miss? Well, so I, I, let me, okay, let me unpack I'll, I'll this. make sure we'll get, we'll get the, uh, the suggestion cards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you'd name it, but I mean, so the, the one lake is in, so again, I come from my Databricks world. So their whole methodology, Databricks pretty much coined the whole idea or concept around lake houses. There may have been other people talking about it, but Databricks has very been pro on this idea of a lake house. The concept of a lake house is you can have n number of storage accounts in a lake house. All those storage accounts store tables or whatever data you want. And then you just basically put the data into that lake house with a various with various formats. Okay. So in in my opinion, <clears throat> that is where all the storage accounts live. To me, the lake house is equivalent to the terminology Microsoft is using right now called one lake. One lake is a collection of multiple it's a service basically it's a service for you that lets you have i don't know how many storage accounts right you can co-locate data in regions you can reference them with shortcuts right so the one link has potentially multiple storage accounts that are region based that you're just putting data in and microsoft as a service just kind of handles where the data goes for you awesome i mean i think it makes a lot of sense then you put a compute layer on top of that and then in, in my opinion, the, the objects called lake houses are actually called databases. They're actually a database in, from, a, from a SQL term, right? You have, the, you have the server of SQL. The server is all the compute and storage for any database you would have. The, the databases are what Microsoft is calling a lake house, right? It's a, it's a way to collect tables together of a similar nature, right? Here's my enterprise warehouse. I'm gonna put all the tables for that stuff inside a single database. Well, that's equivalent now to the, the lake house, right? You may have dev test prod of the servers, right? Or a dev test prod of different databases. You make a lake house for dev test prod. And that way you can segment or physically segment access control and or objects away from each other. So when I click on the lake house that is a prod environment, I only see tables that are prod based. So to me, the equivalent language here is one lake is equivalent to uh, lake house or the, the lake house, the storage accounts. The lake house objects that we see in fabric is equivalent to database. And then you get tables and files inside the database. So that, that's my mental model. As I've been playing with the system, it feels like this works well. I mean, that seems to translate to what I know today. So that's kind of why I think they named it incorrectly. I feel like the lake house as a as a single object that stores tables is not just is is the lake house term is too descriptive or is too open whereas what they're actually building is something much more narrow. It's it's literally a smaller thing of tables and files. That's it. Which is equivalent to a database. Does that make sense? Am I or am I making conceptually yes it does. So but I <clears throat> but I don't like so to say they named it the wrong thing, I, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> but but I, I get that even in the diagrams that they have, like technically, is it because they're stepping people towards this new paradigm of how to think about data within an ecosystem and um, 
the storage of that is all now the same, right? All their marketing stuff is warehouse, lake house, CustoDB data set, right? As separators mm-hmm. in one lake, but all those file formats are the same. So it speaks to your point, which is yes. like, why are you calling this something different? Yes. But maybe it's just the journey by which you're leading people to this new paradigm because yes. it, it is, it's a new paradigm. Like, then the questions would be, well, if everything's in Delta format, why do I have four different ways to interact with it? Correct. Like, because you're used to it, right? Like, yes, you're used to the SQL warehouse. You're used yes. to the Synapse experience and mm-hmm. data science, and you're used to the lake house and Jupyter notebooks. Well, why wouldn't you just unify this all into one thing? Well, Maybe that's where we're going, Mike, right? Like it's Maybe, the one yeah. thing that you're going to need down the road. On top of that, though, and and like there is one security, there's a lot that goes on. Like if you think about the actual technologies underpinning all this, you know, I'm sure that there's like, it's not like all that just went away, but it's it's probably the storage method that is the newest, latest thing of like having all of that you know, T-SQL, that SQL warehouse now being stored in Delta Parquet, right? And that's the unique thing that we get this interactive experience between all of these different interfaces into the data. Um, so I don't know enough about the backends. I, it's not like I totally disagree with your conceptual model of things. Yes. Um, but I don't know if I'd go as far as saying like, yeah, that whole thing is the lake house and that's what you should well, just call it. I, and I think honestly, there's a big part here though too. Obviously, how technical can get, Mike. I messaged you the other day about kind of the same idea. How much of that's going to be necessary uh, for the majority of people who are going to be at least focusing on on the fabric? Like, yeah, if you're mm-hmm. coming from the data engineering world, yeah, like there's obviously you're not going to go. Well, let me see what this uh, this warehouse and fabric is. You're going to kind of maybe transition, but there's a whole audience of people who are not necessarily going to like you said jump the hadoop but are yep. going to see this as a really great solution to finally store and push data that they don't have to go all the way up to becoming the full-on data engineer so this is a really good point you bring up here tommy because i i think there's two parts to this and how i'm looking at it right I'm looking at it from, I, I think I'm looking at Fabric coming into Fabric as if I would probably quantify myself as a pretty solid data engineer. I mean, maybe like a senior data engineer, like that's my world I've been building here. As I walk into this, I understand what, what you could build in, in Databricks. I understand the debugging. I understand the Unity catalog that, they're, that we're doing in other systems, right? I understand other tooling and Microsoft is kind of still playing catch up in my opinion, right? Purview's not there. Um, you know, it doesn't do the same things that Unity Catalog does. There's there's gaps, I think, in the system. So looking at what Fabric is doing from a data engineering standpoint, I think it's a little bit lacking. And I think data engineers are going to show up and be like, mm, it's okay, but there's it's still watered down too much for what a data engineer would really want to be doing, I think, my opinion on this one. However, when I look at this from the perspective of the of the business developer or or business user who's experimenting more with data engineering activities, I think this is giving them a lot more capability than they ever had before. And the fact that they can pick a notebook, and actually I've been seeing Alex Powers sing the praise. I mean, Alex Powers is huge on Power Query. He loves it. I've seen a lot of tweets and posts from him talking a lot more around, man, do I really love notebooks? Do I love Data Wrangler? That's a pure Spark thing that's writing code. And again, I don't think Alex is any... Alex Powers is anyone to shy away from code because he writes, he doesn't even use the UI and, and M, just FYI. He, he literally yeah. just wakes up one day and he's like, advanced I'm going to write editor. M. And he just, <laughs> he just goes to the advanced editor. He just writes all, he just uses that exclusively now. So like he's, a, he's on another level, I'll just say that. However, he's enjoying the notebook experience. And I think from a business user, I really enjoy using all the fabric things. I like how it's so much more integrated. I don't have to worry about spinning up clusters. I don't have to worry about spinning up notebooks and think I literally just click on a th- an object, create notebook, boom, done. Let's get going. I'm going to make a pipeline. Great. Two clicks. I'm making a pipeline. I'm not worrying about ADF and integrating things and connection strings and all that. There's a lot of things that are not there that we just get by default. So for me, the perspective right now is like, I really like, I, I think the, of the two personas, the business analyst or business engineer, business data engineer, I'm going to call it that. And then, then a true data engineer from IT data engineering, 
I think the person getting the better end of the deal is the business user turning oh, towards data engineering. They're getting tools yeah. that are more reliable. They're bigger. You know, um, you can do more as that business user. Whereas I think the data engineer is going to walk into fabric and go, well, where's my debugging? Where's all this extra features? Where's all these other things that I was typically used to doing? And I'm getting down a watered down version of data engineering. Not, not to say it won't get there, but for right now, I think they're getting a little bit less than they, they're normally used to. So there's always going to be extreme use cases where complex data engineering tasks are going to have to happen um, that aren't going to be supported directly in Fabric. But Fabric is Three. an analytics tool. But, and, it's an it, it's a, like it's designed to solve the the business intelligence problems of the world, right? Like analytics, but it. Like you're saying, there's a thought in here. So apologies for the like, um, <laughs> back, and, <laughs> back and forth of the, the thinking here, though. Yes, I, I don't disagree that it's designed for the business. In the same way, Power BI came out, like, sure, there were not the same amount of features that we have right now. It's probably going to be the same thing where it's an evolution, right? We're mm -hmm. in preview as well, so we're not even at at a point where they're saying this product is completely put together and solves all the things that we would want it to. Correct. Um, it's going to be growing. Right, but in that foundation, there, how how much, how deep do you really need to go? Right, mm -hmm. like you're enabling teams, like the enablement of Fabric is so much higher because you don't have to deal with the infrastructure. Right, it's yeah. a service yeah. that you just plug into and do what you need to do as a person that's dealing with data, which is connect the data, manipulate it, transform it build the things you need to to support reporting in an efficient and performant way. Right? Like, of course, there's going to be edge cases. Of course, you're going to need some system that's going to deal with, like, massive volumes of data that you need to rip through and you need to do all these, like, hardcore ETL tasks. And great, you can do that. And then you can land it in one lake, you know, make it a data source for analytic needs. Like, I don't... I would be cautious around saying fabrics like the de facto end-to-end -end forever tool for all of these things because yes. that's not what Microsoft's saying. I think we agree with that. Yeah, right? I agree. These yes. tool sets still exist outside these, these you know, this architecture. I think it's designed for data that's in systems that needs to be transformed for reporting purposes. And in that and case, like, yeah, it opens the door completely for business users but it, it's not like you're not getting the core functionality that you need to do that, what, 80, 90% of the job that you would normally do with data cleansing before putting in a report layer. Do you think? So I want... Like, I mean, you made the point that it's yeah. like, you think it's it's lacking in certain areas. Correct. Specific to a hardcore data engineer. Agreed. But I'm, I'm challenging, like, the data. Is that, is that a role that belongs in Fabric? I think if you read Microsoft documentation and they're utterly confusing documentation around, hey, these are our perso user personas for Fabric and all of them are data engineers. Yeah, yeah, so right. like if you listen to, I feel like if I listen to what Microsoft is saying, they're saying, yes, 100%, data engineers will be happy here. You'll love it. It's the way to go. I'm just not sure I'm convinced yet of that story. I think it needs to more time to mature <laughs> to that point. But what I will say, set to your point here, right? Microsoft... I don't think we should, again, I, think, I agree with you. I don't think we should be pushing fabric and saying, this is the way everyone must play here now moving forward forever. And all engineers, all data scientists, everyone plays in this space. I think it definitely removes some pain points away from that audience. And I think it will get better over time. However, what I will say is the ease of integration of what fabric is doing against what's traditionally been done as a, the engineer, the data engineering role, right? The, the idea that I can still make delta tables, I can still employ Databricks, yeah. I can still build my own lakes somewhere else in IT, and then basically provide a shortcut to the output of that team. I mean, to me, this is the really the neat secret sauce here is, yes, we're talking, to, like, what has happened is a lot of the IT technology that we're trying to move for next, in the next, you know, 10 years, whatever this is going to be, now that is now in place, usable, and it's going to make the business user's life a whole lot easier to integrate and connect directly to what the what the IT team yeah. is doing, right? You've already got data lakes and blob storage yeah. accounts already started up. Great, cool. no problem. Provide me a shortcut to that storage account. Boom. All these Delta tables can now appear in my business user space as read-only objects. That's what we want. 
ahead, IT. You own everything above this this step here. Give this ta give me tables of data, and I'll figure out what to do with it downstream. This is, I think, also. You know, talking about data, I'm doing a lot of data governance and deployment stuff right now. This is creating much headache for for ITs and business. Like there is literally a mindset mindset shift that is happening here, where traditionally IT just gives you reports. Here you go, walk away. We now have the capability of giving them cubes, which some teams also do. That's also been a thing. And now we're going all the way back up and saying, hey, here's the raw tables that I get out of these systems and can give you even further access upstream because the tooling now, I can build my own notebooks. I can build my own data engineering processes and pipelines in the business now. So like to me, like this is another whole realm of things that are going to be enhancing That's our experience. Oh, okay, okay. It does, but it's not anything new. I, I think it's not what's, what's new is how how quickly we could turn those things around. Agree there. Yes. I don't need to have a credit card stuck in Azure at this point. I can turn on fabric and all a lot more. Wait, of the tools just show isn't that a prerequisite? Later, yeah. Isn't that a prerequisite? Like, <laughs> what was that? Isn't well, that a prerequisite for sticking fabric? Your car, sticking your card in Azure first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not free. <laughs> no, it's not free. Not free, but I'm no, saying it's been, great. it's been a great trial. But the ease of it, though, like you know, if I if I get you no know, before, I had to go buy Databricks, sure. I had to go buy these things. Like, so there was infrastructure that, that needed to be set up. A lot less of that now in Fabric. It's just there, and you can just okay. I'm just going to buy one SKU, and I get Azure Data Factory. I get essentially security with Key Vault. I get one like security. Like there's all these other things that come along with it that I think make it again less of a barrier of entry for these for teams. Yeah, so Seth, you had me up until the very end of what you're saying. I, I agree with everything you're, uh, you're going with these. I don't, as we've been going more into the fabric with the Let's Learn Fabric with? series, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll okay. get there. So I, I want to show you how much I did agree. So and then and then and we then disagree. Lay it on slowly, <laughs> yes. but uh, and just I think what's been going on is yeah, there's it's not the business user all of a sudden. Now every Power BI developer has to become a full-on engineer stack. Uh, that's not going to be the story, which that was what I initially thought. I'm like, oh, great. Now I also, also have to be um, like 10 years experience in, in PySpark, 10 years experience in Databricks just to do my job. And that's not going to be the case. The only thing I didn't uh, agree with what you said was at the very end where the majority of things are going to be solved where it's just going to be for reporting purposes. I agree with half that statement where I really think even take away the notebooks and even the lake house and just give me somewhere I can actually store my data and then I can connect to it another pull up. So the business users, the Power BI developers now, what have they been doing for the last 10 years? They've been taking faulty data and raw data and structuring it. The only problem is it's lived in a data set in a Power BI report. But those cleaned tables can be used in other places. Mm -hmm. So these business users now have the ability to actually push and store this data in places that the business can actually use outside of just Power BI. Because before all the logic that I was doing in data flows, true, state, yeah, state, yeah, stayed in that realm. Power BI became a sinkhole, basically, right? Everything fell yeah, into it, it the, and it did, it nothing came out. Like it was just this right. absorbing no, right. black hole type thing. Right. Yes, that's so, a good point. Yes, right, and so that is the seismic shift where now I can take the same um, tools and already principles that I've already applied is give me your CSV files. You're poor. You're hungry. And I will clean it for you. And but I just lived in. Uh, and this isn't. You know, this is an interesting topic you're thinking about here, Tommy. I, I don't think I've. This is a, yeah, I don't think I've actually is, jumped is, to this level of like. You're you're now involving the business in potentially part of the data engineering process. Hey, do some stuff. Engineer some data, spit it, put it back in a SQL server. Put it back. And we've literally, yeah, we've literally been programmed to clean and structure tables, like for the last ten years. We didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> True, but but so now I have the ability to take all this faulty marketing and then be able to give it back to them in their own systems where they need to connect to it, where it can live outside of just Power BI. There's a majority of the things I probably won't have to even touch a notebook. Maybe there's some use cases, but I already have had the ability to do things now. I mean, I'll learn some pipelines, sure, 
I'm sure there's other use cases, but if I didn't need a notebook before, why in the world would that person need it now? What are they all of a sudden getting introduced to them now? There may be some cases, but the majority of the time. I really think that what's going to happen is it's going to be the twofold where it's going to be not just for reporting. It's going to just open up so many other doors where, yeah, I can push it back to the, your SQL database. So then we can, uh, you know, utilize it. So I'm creating power, uh, uh, data flows and I'm doing other things I've already been doing, but now it has such more access, uh, from the raw end. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think this is another use case that, that is becoming more enabled by not letting power BI be purely a, ingest it's only lot, method right it actually has the ability of now outputting data to certain i'm and, and so that, so yeah so i i want to make sure i understand what you're saying because in my mind um there are there are two major differences here if if you're saying we've had this conversation too especially with work workspaces or business units if they own their end-to-end -end pipeline and clean data that's a fantastic idea like in, in a world where they have a third-party system, they are ingesting data into Fabric, they're doing ETL, and the output of that is either a table of clean data. Well, it's two things. It's, it's an object of data that is quality and reports on top of that because that's the source for reporting. We do that every single day, right? We're... We keep, t we, 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 it's the same methodology anyway. You're saying like clean to like push it as far back as you can so you can reuse this component of clean data right. as much as possible. Like we've talked about that. If that means I'm giving access to that table to the business so they can leverage that, that's fantastic. It's cleaned data. It's, it's gone through a process of data quality, governance, et cetera, to give them value in the business. It's still reporting data. It's still data that they're, that that is out of systems to and yeah. run through pipelines okay. to make sense for them. Is it in a report? No, but that's also why we provide data to them in these tables, in reports, in whatever. Mm -hmm. If to me, 100% agree, you own the whole pipeline. Let the company access these clean tables of data to merge with other data sets or whatever. Like this could be part of the whole ecosystem of how you govern data within Fabric. I agree mm -hmm. with you. If you're suggesting that in fabric we should start pushing source systems of data uh, yeah no i i don't I'm, I'm not on that train right now because now you're talking about like how do other applications work within this ecosystem like to me it, it's it's not a it's it is not that right and to 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 that point um then everything beyond that like in my in my first pipeline point means everything we're doing is for reporting. It's for the business to understand what's going on in in their ecosystems and where they're going to correct data problems are in the actual source production systems, which could be third party. It could be a SQL server somewhere else. It could be, you know, whatever the case may be. Once we're talking lake, I think we're already in the analytics realm, right? Okay. You're ingesting data into a central repository of information like area that you typically wouldn't normally like use outside of a reporting purpose whether that's internal or external so your your comment hits me no, two ways Seth. Yeah. yeah no I, I see your face oh. on on one hand i totally agree like on one hand i'm thinking about like the lake yes reporting we're we're, we're moving away from online analytical transactional processing OLA, OLTP, to online analytical processing so the analytical like the, the reporting side I, I would agree i feel like that, i feel very strong there but i've had some use cases where people have asked me hey if i did something to data if i blended some stuff with information sure. how could i return it back to a team yeah. and give them some more refinement around what that would be at use and then that could be utilized back inside the system so on okay. one hand i agree with you on a lot separate separate i i think that that's the delineation Okay. Source systems that collect data, call it a like CRM. Yes. Right. That's not a manual thing. Like what we're talking, if you have a business unit that supplements source data with business process, right, which you're communicating, I think, where we have like, hey, we have some supplemental stuff that isn't going into our third party system, but we do need it as part of like our reporting ecosystem. 
then yeah, of course, like it allows for them to enhance data that they use to run the business. But if it was in integral to the source system, they would figure out how to plug that thing into the source system, not in their own, uh, not in this process. That's a good point. It, 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 yeah, I, I could see that as well. Yeah, if you're if you're really seeing the need for the business to refine or adjust things, you there's another process. And where my mind slightly goes here a little bit, and where I say maybe I would challenge slightly here is if I think about what happens inside uh, the the Power Apps experience, right? Power Apps is essentially, I mean, it's it's building apps on top of data that is in potential production, right? It's dynamics level data. You're building apps on top of that information. You're editing those real tables. Um, I feel like that that's power app story is somewhere around. We have one source of records. We have one source of truth that is production and we're able to get it out, edit it, do some things to it, report on it, and then get back yeah. in there and make immediate edits back to yes. production. To your point though, Seth, I, I agree. There's like this other challenge around like, well, what if the data comes from Salesforce? What if there's another third party tool? We have to go get it in and we have to bring it down to our lake. And I think while I, I agree with your thinking here, I, I do think there's an idea in the future here where, or Microsoft is trying to make it such that it doesn't really matter what you do. It they're not sure I would recommend it yet, but they're going to make it so that you could pull data out of a system, do some stuff with it, and then try to push it back or try to write it back to that system. And Alex was saying here in the comments, if you can't get a Power Query or some kind of Power Query thing to push data back out using you know a Power Query flow, you for sure could make a whole bunch of API calls inside a notebook. And you could start talking to APIs of things. So you could go get a bunch of data out of a system. You could use a notebook to connect to the Salesforce API. And you could then start writing data back into Salesforce or updating a, things right, or whatever. Right. But that's a different well, thing. That is yeah. creating a process within here to say, I have identified data quality problems. Go fix them in my source system. That is different than making Fabric a source system for production workloads in and out. And I don't agree mm -hmm. with that. That was the point Tommy was making. Well, no, I, I'm not saying it's the source system because it's, it's... You did, because if all of these things are not for yeah. reporting, what are they for? They're going to push back to somewhere. They're going to go to another... Okay, hold on, hold on. Don't, you're not going to do your magic putting words in my mouth again today. So, <laughs> but, not putting words in your mouth. Yeah. So, but I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm agreeing completely with what Mike's saying here in regards to there is... I don't think that's even that much farther down the road, Mike, either. That capability is basically here if people realize I, I feel like there's a rat's nest of things I could do. I'm not saying I would recommend it. Right. But like, you could really do this. You could bring data out. You could let the business do stuff with information, merge it, blend it, do whatever they want to do with other things, and you could potentially try to push it back up into systems. Not saying it's right. I'm just saying the potential but to do it is it. becoming easier and easier, I think. Right. It, it's, it's finally now where you look at where the Power BI platform is in terms of the whole integration story. It's literally just got a lot fatter in terms of now can talk back. And again, I don't think that can be uh, underemphasized in terms of we have the ability to go, whether we're storing it in a lake house, which I think that's what you're saying. But if I need to put into a database and let someone else do something with that, at least it's the transformations and that quick ability now where I didn't have to rely on them, what's becoming archaic now or some of the archaic ways we had to connect the data before. Um, there's such a big part here of not just the ownership, but I don't worry, I am very weary of a lot of the things too in fabric there's not necessarily the the protection if things do go wrong because once you start talking about do having source data and data that's going to go to other systems you need to have those layers of backups that's why you have people who obviously it's more than just making a, a data clean it's about that protection if systems go wrong my goodness you get one error and then everything would break but i digress on that point what i'm saying here is I, there's now an ability here where with the same skills that I've already had, if I am just coming from Power BI, uh, maybe expanded a little, I now have the ability that someone in Databricks or someone very higher up the chain has uh, and has had to be able to now have data in the same place that you've had, but also do some of the same transformations. 
now I finally, I have a very good idea of, uh, or I'm on that almost that same playing field. I just may not know it. I mean, that's different than what you were thinking. I think that's different than what you were saying earlier. Earlier, I think you were, I felt like you were saying earlier, I'm going to take data out of a system, do some stuff to it, maybe add an Excel sheet, add some enhancement, sure. add some columns or fields, and then try and write that data back up into... Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, so, yeah, maybe I said it wrong. But so. what you're saying now, it sounds like you're saying there's there's capability, the business users are now getting, of the tooling we have today, we now have capabilities of doing things that we would traditionally see being done by a data engineer. Well, and those okay, those skills yeah, now are available to us at this at this level now. So yeah, I see what you're saying. So let me give a solid example. I'll, I'll, we'll go back. On okay, the same let's do an example. Again. Think about all the these critical mass uh, systems that companies have that are still coming from Excel files and CSV that we have the responsibility of putting into the report. It had to come from the, yep. these old dirty systems. They were never going to go into the the engineering side. And the only unfortunate thing is it lived in that report or that model. And then, a lot of that, a lot of that local it, tribal knowledge, right, yes, correct. Right, but that was mission critical. And that's what things were reported to finance, but okay. it was essential. I can now take the same basically methodology that I've done and now I can, and rather than having that only live in this little Power BI world, I can now push that and actually store it as a table in SQL. And now it, now it has the same function, like with all of the bells and whistles that a normal SQL table would have. So you, are you saying something along to the effect of, I had a system, I would export a bunch of data out, that export data would live in Excel sheet, I would do data engineering well, to that Excel sheet, yeah. I would manipulate it, and then I would email out that Excel sheet to lots of other people, therefore adding value of that table or information that I've developed. You're saying now no, I, in Power BI, yeah do the same thing, but now just do it inside a Power BI space where I'm writing the data out to a SQL server, a system, a place right. that the entire organization thing can get value from that same engineered data. Right, because for the I last seven years, once, once Power Query touched something, it was stuck. It was there and it was going to be in Power BI. It was never going back up. Uh, no, no matter what I cleaned in, in Power BI, but it was going to stay in that world. But now I can basically create a SQL table that's in a sense has, it's not necessarily any more special, but it just, it has, it can speak to how many systems you said, SQL rules the world. Mm -hmm. And now I can actually, in a sense, talk back. I agree with that. I think, I think, I, I think I agree with like that, that kind of feature or capability addition, right? It's a, it's a capability addition to what we've already been doing. Well, I do think we kind of hit a lull here at, or at least, we were out of time. Let me say it that way. We probably could talk about this I'm for another 30 minutes easily. Uh, so I do want to say uh, this has gone incredibly fast. Thank you, everyone. The chat has been absolutely lively. Really good things and comments here in chat. Uh, I want to call out a couple. Kurt, thanks for showing up. Um, Alex, really appreciate you. You, know, you heard us. Apparently, you your ears were burning when we were talking about you earlier about how you uh, brute force write all your M code without even looking at the UI. So we uh, apparently you... That's that is your beacon. We we the bat signal for M. Uh, so thank you very much for everyone uh, chatting and participating in the chat window. We really appreciate you. Our only ask with this episode or any of our episodes, if you like what you hear here, if you like what you're listening to, or if this is challenging your thinking, right? If this is kind of making you think more about what this new ecosystem is going to be doing, we really would love you to share this with somebody else. So please write a little social post, give us a thumbs up, maybe subscribe. Uh, we really like the feedback and engagement from the community. Please share with someone else that you think might find this other this other this podcast either boring or valuable. I mean, give it to your evil enemies, right? Here, here we go. Uh, <laughs> listen to this great podcast and let them doze themselves off to sleep. Or if you have friends, you know, let them know it's it's great and you love it. So we appreciate that too. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere. It's available on Google, Spotify, and Apple. Make sure to subscribe. If you have a topic or an idea that you want us to talk about, you can you have the ability to do so. Talk upstream like data flows are doing now. Go to uh, powerbi.tips slash the podcast and uh, just submit a mailbag. And finally, join us live every Tuesday and Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central. Do, do, we have a, do we have a data flow for our, our mailbag? We do, don't we? I can make it a SQL table. There now. we go. Let's let's put all the mail back into SQL. Let's go right back to source systems. I love it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.